Civilization is in crisis. What are the threats that confront us? We're standing here to want to make a stand on the word of God. 2021, exactly 500 years after Martin Luther's bold stand in 1521. Psalm 1 summarizes the message of the 150 Psalms, the largest book in the Bible, the biggest book in the Bible, the prayer book of the Bible, the book that Jesus quoted from more than any other book, Psalm 1. And this in many ways summarizes the 150 Psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also will not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. This is the word of God. Ecclesia reformata reformanda est. The church, having been reformed, is still to be reformed. The work of reformation is never over. And yet we have heard so-called Protestant denominational leaders making statements like, the Reformation's over. No, it isn't. The work of Reformation is for every generation to reevaluate everything in the light of God's word and see where are we deficient, where are we falling short, where are we failing, what are we missing, and to bring ourselves back to being captive to the word of God. We need to understand the times. There are many serious issues confronting us which require bold and biblical stand, not the least of which is apostasy in the church. Children are at risk. Children are being targeted. And godly parents need to suffer much in order to protect our children and our grandchildren from the attacks of a godless antichrist generation. In God's court, abortion is murder. We have no idea how many millions of babies have been killed by abortion in our lifetimes, legally, with taxpayer funds, no less. Truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. Truth is the only thing people won't believe. They will believe any lie. People love the lie, like evolution. But most people hate the truth. Ken Ham wrote a devastating book, Already Gone, on why your kids will quit church and what you can do to stop it. And he points out that the biggest hostility to biblical creation teaching is in Christian colleges and from Christian ministers and from theological cemeteries. It's unbelievable how many churches are hostile to the concept that God created the world in six days. Evolutionism is so strong, I can give you an example from Cape Town. We're good friends with the Stotts. Philip Stotts, one of the finest creation scientists in the world, and he lives in South Africa. His daughter, Angela Stott, Dr. Angela Stott, I mean, both of them are double doctorates, is a genius, and she is the top student of a year in matric uh, in the whole country, and uh, a major genius. Well, when Dr. Angela Stott was staying here at our mission, 
and was working up at UCT helping them to devise textbooks for science. A Christian university tried to get started here in Cape Town. And, uh, well, I can mention him, why not? Cornerstone University, meant to be a Christian university. And so I asked him, would you like a science department? We would love a science department. I said, I know just the person for you, Dr. Angela Stott. Excellent, sent her details. Well, the faculty of, the, of Cornerstone wouldn't even interview her or consider her. said, she's a creation theorist. We can't ever hear. Now, she's one of the finest minds. She's written school textbooks. She could be employed by the University of Bloemfontein, the University of Cape Town, for devising their curriculums. But a Christian university wouldn't even consider her because she believes in creation. Does that sound like you've fallen down the rabbit hole and you, with... Alice in Wonderland meeting the Mad Hatter. I mean, how insane is that? The secular universities will accept a creation scientist quicker than a Christian university will. But then I went to a three-hour graduation service of Cornerstone University, held just across the road at uh, the church that's Caddy Corner from us. But in this three hours, and I went there wanting to write an article in this new university to help promote it. So I had a clipboard and I had a pen, and I was looking for things to report. And I can tell you, in three hours, nobody, not the chancellor, the guest speaker, the valedictorian, and any of the others, none of them quoted scripture. They didn't quote a reformer, a missionary, forget about Andrew Murray or Charles, but nothing. Who did they quote from? Martin Luther King Jr. ad nauseum. Nelson Mandela, Voltaire, Gandhi, for goodness sakes, in fact, the chancellor of this Christian university, and I use the word in italics and commas, the chancellor of this Christian university ended the speech to the graduating student saying, I charge you in the words of Nelson Mandela's character in the Invictus film. You are the master of your fate. You are the captain of your soul. Now, Invictus is the name of a poem written by an antichrist atheist and here's the full words of that poem. It matters not how straight the gate. Uh, what's the gate that's straight? The narrow gate, Jesus. Nor how charged with punishments the scroll. What is the scroll that's charged with punishments? The Bible. To whatever gods there are, I declare, I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. This is an antichrist poem, an invictus is the name of Clint Eastwood's film that he made to, for the first time in the history of the world, attribute a sports victory to a politician. But anyway, uh, if he could have enabled our Springboks to have won in the World Cup Rugby in 1995, you wonder why he didn't help our soccer team to win in the World Cup in 2010. But anyway, uh, I don't think anyone's ever thought of either blaming or thanking a politician for how a sports team does. But according to Invictus, it's the politician who enabled the Springboks to win 1995, even though actually his only involvement was to interfere with the team and to ignore sports requirements in order to meet some political requirements. So it's a bizarre narrative, but still, Invictus is the name of the film, which is the name of this Antichrist poem, and the poem is given in full twice, including at the end with soaring, rousing music behind, showing that this is the whole point of Clint Eastwood's film on Invictus, is uh, this Antichrist message of, 
I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And a Christian chancellor of a Christian university used this to charge or commission theological graduates at the end of their studies at Cornerstone University. Now, that's bad. But I remember being at a University of Cape Town graduation service in 1978. I was going to a friend's graduation, so I was up there and observing it. I'll never forget the message. University of Cape Town, Jamison Hall, 1978. What was the message of the guest speaker on that occasion? What does the Lord your God require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And then he expounded justice, mercy, and humility. That's at University of Cape Town, 1978. It would be nice if they did it there now, but... But what is going on when a secular university can be more Christian than a Christian university? Our Christian universities are uniformly apostate. Our denominations have become abominations. The heads of our denominations in many cases are spineless cowards. In some cases, apostates, if not homosexual perverts themselves. And Ken Ham documents, he goes through the universities in America and the denominations, and just shows how because they disbelieved God in the book of Genesis, the foundations destroyed, it's rotten. What can the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed? Marriage is under attack. It's, this is a thought crime. One man and one woman for life. Marriage can only be between a man and a woman. I mean, hate speech. You can lose your job. You can be deplatformed. You can be kicked out of university. You can be failed. You can lose your job. Professors have been removed from universities for saying what I just said. Marriage can only be between a man and a woman. This is the kind of insanity going on in Canada in particular right now. This is under attack. Marriage. Because the foundation of all society. James Dobson has blown the whistle on this. Marriage is definitely under fire. When you've got lesbians conducting homosexual weddings, uh, apparently in name of the church, uh, you know that you're in trouble. And yes, does one need to say anything more? <laughs> a picture's worth a thousand words. Why is the church in the state that it's in? The family, the basic building block of society is being undermined. Every child deserves a mom and a dad. It was Professor Martin Luther who gave the church its first example of a pastoral family. When he broke with a millennium-long tradition in the Catholic Church, uh, more than a tradition, it was a requirement, and he had the audacity to get married to an ex-nun, Catherine van Bora, and they raised six children. And this is an example. This doesn't sound radical to us now, but it was back then. And this is a thought crime. This is hate speech to much of the world today. Husband and wife loving their children, bring them up to love the Lord. We live in an age where tradition is one of the highest forms of rebellion. We are rebels because we believe in God and creation and the Bible and the family and having children and raising children to love and fear the Lord. That is the most rebellious thing you can do to the new world order. Even the very plain differences between male and female are being challenged by the transgender, gender fluidity, gender confusion movement. The latest I've heard is there's 72 genders. I have no idea where they work that out from. 
And then we've got the COVID cult, which has been used as a smokescreen for advancing communist agenda through lockdown lunacy and what some call economic suicide. But suicide suggests that it's voluntary. The crippling and killing of so many businesses worldwide are more akin to economic murder and mass murder. This isn't economic suicide, this is economic mass murder. And it's the poorest people who suffer the most. The wickedness in the name of fighting a virus, whipping people. No law is valid if it violates the Bill of Rights. That's the whole point of a Bill of Rights. Yet the extraordinary COVID-19 state of emergency, state of disaster, curfew, martial law, whatever they want to call it, it's violated these essential freedoms. Freedom of religion, freedom of belief, freedom of worship, freedom of association, freedom of assembly, freedom to demonstrate, freedom of movement. This is not about your health. I've gone through the charade of traveling by plane a couple of times since they started this whole nonsense. And they go through this pathetic charade of maintaining your social distancing two meters between you as you line up to get in a plane. Then they shoehorn you into the same plane, the same compressed seats where you all, um, you know, your elbows against the other person's, your shoulders wedged against the others. And then at the end of this two and a something hour flight, they go through the charade again of, you know, only one row at a time, uh, stay in your seats, uh, you know, only one row, wheelchair, next one, and you've got to maintain social distancing and exit the aircraft. What nonsense is this? You can have 100%, no, you can have 180% come in a taxi, uh, but you, you can fill up a casino, but churches, even if it's a 10,000-seater church, as in the case of Cross the Mountain Zooland, you can't have more than 250 people in a church service. I mean, really? What idiocy is this? It's for your own safety, and this isn't a joke. The SANDF and the police in the first few days of the lockdown killed more people than the virus did. They beat people to death, they kicked people, they shot people dead in the name of protecting people from a virus. And it, we wish these could be jokes, but these cartoons tell us something real. COVID hasn't killed as many people as poverty will and has and does. But we've got a new Spanish Inquisition out there today. You will believe or you will be burned at the stake of public opinion. You will be deplatformed. You will be unpersoned. You will be vaporized. You will disappear down the memory hole. Uh, you will be fired. You will be, and all the different things that they can find in the modern arsenal of the modern Inquisition. Then there's Marxist critical race theory, which we had a lesson in last year. Social justice warriors and the BLM uh, managed to show you how the Marxist doctrine of confuse, divide, and conquer is used to tear societies apart and cause billions of dollars of damage. Pornography and perversion, the corrupt and conquer, are being persistently promoted, especially by Slime magazine and Newspeak. And then you get the results of this. The rape of justice in Britain. A million youngsters in Britain were sexually assaulted and groomed by what they called Asian gangs, which is a euphemism for Muslims, uh, in Britain. And this was ignored for decades in Britain by the social services, the Child Protection Union, Scotland Yard, and all the rest, local police, because they're afraid of being called racist. And so they let a million young boys and girls in Britain be sexually assaulted repeatedly for decades rather than being called a racist. That is where critical race theory 
Marxist corrupts and conquer has gotten us. And then, of course, you've got these low-life pieces of rubbish like Harvey Weinstein, who's produced vast amounts of films that have influenced our society, including Mandela Long Walk to Freedom. The first thing you see on the Mandela Long Walk to Freedom film, before anything else, is a Weinstein production. Yeah, along with Pulp Fiction and a whole lot of others. I mean, this man has defiled the minds and the homes and the souls of tens of millions of people across the planet. And then you discover, oh, surprise, surprise, the man who produces sleazy, disgusting films is a sleazy, disgusting pedophile predator, rapist. Well, it's not just him. There's a whole bunch of others. In fact, next thing you find is just about everybody that people idolize in Hollywood are rapists, child abusers, pedophiles, sexual perverts, and all the rest. And these are the people who get the Academy Awards, of course. They've all got something in common. Support your local gay GB thought police. Closed minds stop thought crimes. Report those who think for themselves or quote from the Bible. And this was once a bit of a joke, but it's not a joke anymore because they're literally deplatforming and reporting. And the amount of times I can post something and say, your post violates community standards. Whose community standards? I mean, you try and expose some pedophile perverts and next thing you're violating community standards. They not, you know, pornography doesn't violate community standards, but exposing evil violates community standards. Charles Spurgeon said, concerning homosexuality, this once brought hell out of heaven on Sodom. Now, if you want to know how bad our world is and why we need a reformation today, just consider a few of these pictures. Going to hell and proud. I bet hell is fabulous. Well, I'll take that bet. I bet it's not. How do you like this for antichrist hatred? If only Mary had had an abortion, we wouldn't be in this mess. I've seen this sign three times in my life in different countries and continents. Going back as far as 1987 in Frankfurt, Germany, outside Kirchentag, there was a pro-life demonstration, then there was a counter-pro-life demonstration, and one of these pro-aborts actually had a sign saying in German, if only Mary had had an abortion, we wouldn't be in this mess. And I've seen people doing that in South Africa, and I've seen them doing it in America. What are they saying? Jesus is the root of all evil. The biggest problem in the world is Christians. If only we could have aborted Jesus retroactively, we would have been spared all these Christians, all these horrible things that the world's gone through, like schools and hospitals and university literacy and, you know, Charity and Florence Nightingale and David Livingston, William Wilberforce and all that. You know, if only Mary had an abortion. If Jesus returns, kill him again. Well, this smug atheist is in for a nasty surprise on the Day of Judgment because Jesus is going to return and he won't come as a lamb next time. He's not coming as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His second coming, he comes as a lion. And it'll be too late for salvation then. Today, the gates are wide open. The door to heaven is wide. The day of grace is open. Whoever will may come. This is the day when God commands all men everywhere to repent. So the question is not, will you believe, but when will you believe? The question isn't, will you bow to Christ, but when will you bow to Christ? Because if we refuse the salvation from the Lamb of God, we will endure judgment from the Lion of God. He's coming as the eternal judge. And if this man thinks he can backchat Jesus or something like that in the Day of Judgment, he's got another thing coming. 
Because John the Apostle, who was the closest to Jesus on earth, who could have his head leaning on the Lord's shoulder during the Lord's Supper, when he saw the risen Christ, he fell on his face like a dead man. Do you think any atheist is going to be back-chatting God in the Day of Judgment? Along with propaganda, pervasive propaganda, panic-mongering, fear-mongering, disinformation, deceit, and revolutionary rhetoric, Revelation 17 verse 14 sums up what we're facing. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Are you one of the called, chosen, and faithful of Christ? We are in a war. We're in a war where Christian civilization has been confronted by communist coercion. That's it. The issue is never the issue. The issue is the revolution. And we are seeing right now, and the COVID cult is just one of the most effective tools they've ever devised in the history of communism to close down churches and to prevent Christians from taking the cultural mandate and the Great Commission seriously. What is communism? Rule by committee. The Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. What does Soviet mean? Committee. The Soviet Union was ruled by committee. The French Revolution was ruled by committee. It was called the Committee for Public Safety. Maximilian Robespierre was in charge of the Committee of Public Safety. And what did he determine? Who was guillotined? That's the Committee for Public Safety. Isn't that a nice term? Do you know what KGB stands for? In, in Russian, that is. A Russian explained to me it stands for Department of Homeland Security. What a nice, innocuous name. Department for Homeland Security. And KGB is a word of terror. Because they use euphemism. So they may say, it's for your good, it's for your health, and all that sort of thing. But South Africa sidelined parliament, and we've been ruled by committee for the last year. But don't worry, they consult the ancestors, we assured. Civilization is at a crossroads. The church is being challenged by communist coercion. I trust you're praying for Christian brethren in Hong Kong. They are really being hammered. Communities being confronted by an aggressive agenda. And it's not just the gay GB and the pink inquisition. They used to be on the front line of the attacks on the church, but now it's the COVID cult. We need to understand the times and we need to know what God's people should do. Just look at this EU poster. What do they make of that star? What's at the top of it? The hammer and sickle. And even Islam's crescent's above the cross. And you've got hammers and sickles all over. This is what they talk about. Now, what is it in Revelation 13 that we warned about? The beast is going to work for a one-world government, a one-world economic system, and a one-world religious system. And the EU epitomized this. They even have a woman riding a beast as a monument outside their Strasbourg parliament. And in Brussels, they have another monument of a woman riding a beast. How blatant can it be? Well, they're more blatant than that. This on the left is a famous painting by Bruegel in Brussels of the Tower of Babel. And on the right, you've got the EU Parliament in Strasbourg, which I've been to. And this, is, this isn't accidental. Just look, this is what they put out there. Europe, many tongues, one voice. We're reversing Babel. This is a fist of rebellion against God. And they, they even depict this in the same way that Bruegel had depicted the Tower of Babel in this classic picture. And they've done it by building the whole European Parliament and saying, this is blatant, arrogant rebellion to God. 
they are being that open about it. And the EU is just one of the manifestations. Of course, the United Nations and the African Union are other manifestations too. We are seeing Revelation 13 type warnings in our time. Durant said a great civilization is not conquered from without until it has destroyed itself from within. And it's true. Violence is not necessary to destroy civilization, said John Adams. Every civilization is dying because of indifference towards unique values that created it. Civilizations are built on ideas, values, beliefs, culture. When those are removed and destroyed, the entire structure will collapse. Aristotle said 2,400 years ago, tolerance and apathy are the last virtues of a dying society. These are about the last virtues left today, tolerance and apathy. John Wesley said, what one generation tolerates, the next will embrace. Just think, my generation came to tolerate homosexuality. The next generation has embraced it. And the result will be that there won't be a following generation if people embrace that. Toleration is a device used to introduce a new law system as a prelude to a new intolerance. When I was growing up, I remember when liberals spoke about the need for freedom. There must be no censorship whatsoever. Now, what they were complaining about is that South Africa and Rhodesia used to have a censorship board that censored out blasphemy, pornography, and other unacceptable things, exploitative violence, and so on. And so we, were grow we grew up protected from it. So I was 24 before I knew there was such a thing as pornography. I was 20 before I realized there was such a thing as a homosexual. I didn't know there was such a thing as a homosexual before I was 20. Now the kids know about it in preschool. It's shocking. This is what we're seeing now, that they, the people who said there must be no censorship, they're trying to censor any criticism as hate speech. I mean, they found a new way of getting around. So they used to say there must be no censorship, and now they want total censorship. You can't even have a different opinion politically. You're not even allowed to vote for the opposition. And so now what we're facing is the attack of the cry bullies, not just cry babies. They're burning constitution, they're burning reason, they're burning logic, and they're just screaming and demanding their own way, and they're causing havoc and chaos, and most people are just fleeing uh, before them. Attack of the cry babies. Quite an insight. Vladimir Lenin said, the way to crush the bourgeois, that, by the way, is their word for us, is to grind them between the millstones of taxation and inflation. Inflation is just a hidden tax anyway. Uh, by the way, amongst the things that we've got as some prize for the children today is some of the old one rand coins with solid year glory on it. Uh, back when, uh, now, a one rand, back when I was growing up, could buy a lot more than a hundred rand can buy right today. Uh, just extraordinary how money has changed in its value. And for example, the first Bible I bought when 44 years ago, I bought for two rand, hardcover Bible. And our first mailings were four cents for stamps. And my first overseas mission to Europe and America, I was away for two and a half months. And the two and a half months flight to Europe, to America, back, traveling all over Europe, behind Eastern Europe and so on, cost me a thousand rand. My first motorbike cost me a thousand rand. And I'm going back 40 years. A brand new off-road 
bike 250 Honda XL driven. Now, if you understand, taxation is a hidden tax. It's not that the value of anything increases. It's that the, it's not even that the price really increases. It's that money is debased. Stephen Mitford Goodson, once uh, the director of Southern Reserve Bank, said that 2,000 years ago, to buy a Roman toga, a leather belt, and leather sandals would cost a gold coin. He says, today, to buy a suit and belt and shoes will cost the same a gold coin. So it's not that the price has increased as much as that the currency has been debased. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, where the good ways and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Also, I've set watchmen over you, saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. And today, I think many of our speakers are going to be the sound of the trumpet, calling us back to the old ways. And the five great solas of the Reformation, Sola Gracia, Sola Fidi, Solus Christus, Solidio Gloria, Sola Scriptura. These are the great battle cries that for 500 years have called people back to what really matters, what is the gold standard by which everything else should be measured. William Tyndale, who translated the Bible to English, said, If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause the boy who drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. He said this, by the way, to a bishop. Well, he had to flee Britain and go to Germany to translate the Bible to English. And when he brought the Bible back to England, smuggled him in, he got arrested, and he was burned at the stake for the crime of translating the Bible into English. Do we realize what it's taken for us to have the Bible in our own language? Lord, open the King of England's eyes was his last words. Christians died for this faith. Fifteen-year-old Queen Jane was beheaded by her cousin, Bloody Mary, for refusing to renounce her faith. She was told, we'll spare your life if she is the nine days queen in England. And when Bloody Mary seized power uh, through a coup, she gave him a choice, renounce the Protestant faith and your life will be spared. You'll just be under house arrest. She would not. And you can read in Foxbook Commodities, there's several pages of just Jane Grey's courageous, 15-year-old, knowing the faith so well, she silenced the bishops and the best minds of the church at that time with her understanding of scripture and her understanding of the faith. And she was beheaded for her faith. The first Protestant Archbishop of England, Thomas Cranmer, and Bishop Hooper and Bishop Ridley, uh, all were taken and burned at the stake in Oxford. In fact, as was often said then in Cambridge, Cambridge produced the bishops and the martyrs whom Oxford burned. And it's true, in Oxford, England, they burned at the stake reformers who were all trained in Cambridge. That's one of those things. One of the people in the 20th century who was a bit of a prophet to our time was Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was an officer in the Red Army. He was a dedicated communist and atheist. And for writing a slightly disrespectful word in one of his private letters to somebody about the dictator Stalin calling him the moustached one, he was confined in a labor camp for eight years. Most people didn't even survive eight years there. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn became a major folk here. He's the greatest Russian author uh, of the 20th century. He wrote The One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. 
He wrote the Gulag Archipelago and other great books, four of which are set book books in Russia today. Well, Solzhenitsyn said a lot of very insightful things that I think will help us today. Modern society is hypnotized by socialism. It is prevented by socialism from seeing the moral danger it is in. One of the greatest dangers of all is that you have lost all sense of danger. You cannot even see where it's coming from as it moves swiftly towards you. Socialism of any type leads to a total destruction of the human spirit. To destroy a people, you must first sever their roots. Now, Solzhenitsyn came to Christ in the Gulag. He says, in our country, the liars become not just a moral category, but a pillar of the state. In keeping silent about evil and burying it so deep within us that no sign of it appears on the surface, we're implanting it and will rise up a thousandfold in the future. When we neither punish nor reproach evildoers, we are ripping the foundations of justice from beneath new generations. In our country, the lie is not just a moral category, but a pillar of the state. The timid civilized world has found nothing with which to oppose the sudden revival of bare-faced barbarity other than concessions and smiles. Another quote from Solzhenitsyn. The generation are coming out of Western schools is unable to distinguish good from bad. Even those words are unacceptable. This results in impaired thinking ability. Now, I chose this picture because if you can look past the silly girls in the foreground, look at the posters behind. What has this got to do with education? Martin Luther King Jr. Filthy, dirty, unwashed, mass-murdering, baby-killing, bank robber, Marxist, Che Guevara, who decorates the T-shirts of how many people who are illiterate imbeciles, and Mandela. Now, what has any of this got to do with education? Absolutely nothing. It's got a lot to do with indoctrination. It is a universal law. Intolerance is the first sign of an inadequate education. An ill-educated person behaves with arrogant impatience, whereas truly profound education breeds humility. Here's another quote from Solzhenitsyn. A decline in courage may be the most striking feature that an outside observer notices in the West today. The West has lost its civic courage. Such a decline in courage is particularly noticeable amongst the ruling and intellectual elite, causing an impression of a loss of courage by the entire society. We are led by cowards. This is why we're in the mess we're in today. People who cannot even say there's only two genders, marriage can only be between a man and woman, life begins at conception, abortion is murder. I mean, how simple is it to say something like that? And they cannot even say that, and they punish those who do. Another quote from Solzhenitsyn, the strength or weakness of a society depends more on the level of its spiritual life than on its level of industrialization. Neither a market economy nor even a general abundance constitutes the crowning achievement of human life. If a nation's spiritual energies have been exhausted, it will not be saved from collapse by the most perfect government structure or by any industrial development. A tree with a rotten core cannot stand. Now, is that prophetic or what? Solzhenitsyn came to understand God and the scripture. When he was asked, how did communists gain control of a great Christian country like Russia? He said, we forgot God. The simple step of a courageous individual is not to partake in a lie, he said. One word of truth outweighs the whole world. You can resolve to live your life with integrity, said Alexander Solzhenitsyn. The simple step 
of a simple courageous man is not to take part in the lie, nor to support deceit. Let your credo be this. Let the lie come into the world. Let it even dominate the world. But not through me. I will not share in the lie. Nearly 500 years ago, Professor Martin Luther declared, if I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God's word except precisely that point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, then I'm not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing him. For where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved, and to be steady on all the battlefront besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. Before us are clear choices and crossroads. Fear or freedom. Panic or perception. Gender confusion or God's creation. Medical dictatorship or moral discernment. Disinformation and deception or facts and truth. Fear versus faith. Disinformation versus discernment. Curfews and compulsion or Christian liberty. Lockdowns or liberty. Report all non-essential activity to your local political commissar. They have turned our country into a nation of Stasi KGB informants, where so many neighbors are reporting on their neighbor. He's walking his dog. He's running around an empty field. Unbelievable, these screeching corns. You can be out there walking with your grandchildren. Somebody comes, rolls on the window. Where's your masks? We live in the same home together. Where's your mask? We've had COVID, we've recovered from Everyone in our family's had COVID. There's no need to wear this mask. Where's your mask? Why should you participate in the lie? Mandatory vaccinations. I mean, these vaccinations are so safe that the producers of them have spent billions of dollars lobbying governments to indemnify them against prosecution for liability. And you need this for disease so dangerous, you need to be tested to know you've got it. Communist coercion or Christian civilization? Revolution or reformation? Indoctrination or education? Is this not child abuse to point a laser kind of gun at some child's forehead and force children to wear masks at school all day? Child abuse. Professor Martin Luther warned, I'm much afraid that schools will prove to be wide gates to hell unless they diligently labor in explaining the Holy Scriptures, engraving them in the hearts of youth. I advise no one to place his child where the Scriptures do not reign paramount. Every institution in which men are not constantly occupied with the Word of God must become corrupt. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. George Orwell warned us that the most effective way to destroy people is to deny and obliterate the understanding of their own history. And yet I know Christian schools who've abolished history as a subject. There's a lot of people who say, when I was on a speaking tour for the Reformation 500 in 2017, I came to a country where the pastor said to me, our people aren't interested in history. And I said, that's how your country's going to hell in a handbasket. People who are not interested in history are like 
delighting himself. I've had school teachers arguing why it's not necessary to know history. Well, that's why communists run roughshod over most people, because Karl Marx said the first battlefield is the rewriting of history. People who don't know the history can be guilt manipulated, lied to, and deceived so easily. George Orwell warned us, every record has been destroyed or falsified, every book rewritten, every picture repainted, every statue and street building has been renamed, every date has been altered, and the process is continuing, day by day, minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present where the party is always right. Now, this is a man who worked as a policeman, a newspaper editor, and then a propagandist with the BBC during the Second World War, and he saw what was coming. And he warned us in 1948 already. Why would we want our children to be educated by the enemies of our faith? While they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. Corruption. Corruption steals one-third of the gross domestic products of Africa every year. According to the African Union's Task Force on Corruption, 33% of the GDP of Africa is stolen by government corruption. Now, we're not even talking about the taxation or the inflation, which is a whole lot more. We are being killed by corruption. And yet we had a president in this country who said corruption hurts no one. It hurts everyone. Indignation has taken hold of me because the wicked who forsake your law. We are involved in a fight for faith and freedom. We need to understand the threats and counterattack the communist agenda. At its heart, this is a battle over authority. We as Bible-believing evangelical Christians must respond as Dr. Martin Luther responded at Burms before the assembled political and religious might of Europe on the 18th of April, 1521. We need to make a clear, bold, biblical stand on sola scriptura. Scripture alone is the ultimate authority. Unless I am convinced by scripture, or by clear reasoning that I'm in error. For popes and councils have often erred and contradicted themselves. I cannot recant, for I'm subject to the scriptures I've quoted. My conscience is captive to the word of God. It is unsafe and dangerous to do anything against one's conscience. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise, so help me God, amen. In the face of intimidation and threats in the world, we need to respond to the courage and the conviction of Protestant reformers like Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli. We must stand on the unchangeable word of Almighty God. We must not be conformed to this world. We must be willing to be different, to stand up for Jesus, to step out in faith, to speak up, to proclaim the word of God faithfully and accurately. Our conscience needs to be captive to the word of God. Here we stand. Trials and tribulations are tests and training that we might be tenacious and trustworthy. The trials, trauma, and tribulations of this present time need to be understood as training and tests to strengthen us for the Lord's service, that we might become more trustworthy and more tenacious. As the children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years, as Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years, as David was an exile, outlaw, running for years, even as our Lord Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness fasting before his ministry. In this you greatly rejoice, although for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold which perishes, though it is test by far, be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
We need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is why our prayer of this year is, will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you.